Church, can we pray uh, just for this time? And I, I want to more so yeah, lift Amy up in prayer, but I want to pray for us. Come on. Like, we need our ears open, right? We, we need our hearts softened. Guys, I, I, I can't be more serious about this uh, than I am right now. Sometimes, you know, we stand here at this pulpit and we wonder if anything's registering, if anything's hitting home. And, um, you know, but bigger than that, we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to do his work. And, and what we're going to believe for now is just that our ears, again, would be open to God's word and our hearts would be softened to receive it. Can you believe that with me today? I have faith for that. I myself sometimes just kind of, you know, disengage and, you know, think about what am I doing after this? You know, like, but let's just focus in. I mean, we're going to give maybe 30 to 40 minutes of just hearing God's word. We need God's Holy Spirit to move in our hearts and do a work. I, Father, I, I thank you first and foremost for Amy and her willingness to come and stand behind this pulpit and give your word to this people. It's not an easy task, but Lord, I pray your blessing over uh, her as she does it. I pray uh, that her ears would be open to hear maybe things that weren't written on these notes, maybe things that God would speak prophetically to us. But God, I do also pray for our church that our ears would be open, that our hearts would be softened to hear your word proclaimed. Holy Spirit, do a work in us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. All right. Good afternoon by two minutes. Good afternoon. No, no laughter. All right, that was a warm-up. Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, what's up? All right, we've got a quiet group. Good to know. Um, so like Daryl said, we're wrapping out the sermon series uh, called Undeserving. So here's a bit of a, just a sense of who's been around or not. Raise your hand if you have heard at least two of these sermons. Cool. Yep. So that's about a third, maybe a quarter. So I would like to point out our YouTube channel, Hilltop Church Boston. We also have a podcast to upload sermons. So, hey, this sermon stands for itself today. So you will be hopefully blessed by the Smoked by this topic. I just encourage you to go back and look at some of those messages. Um, I think March 27th, I had written it down and then I had deleted it in one of my note iterations. I think that was the one, Daryl, where you half gave a sermon from your notes and half gave a sermon from what the Lord had put on his heart during worship. But I highly encourage that you go back and listen to those. They're so good. So the undeserving grace of God. So that is really the gospel message that we who have wickedness within our heart, not one is, is pure before the eyes of the Lord other than Jesus. All of us have fallen short. We are all in great need of this undeserving grace of God. And there is this great mystery in how Jesus defeated the power of sin, but then there's something that we need to walk out. So it is done once, Jesus did it, it is done. But sometimes when we're walking out this life of sanctification, glory to glory, there is this disconnect of what does it mean if Jesus did it, if it's done, but how do I walk this out? And Daryl talked about different things at different weeks. Um, we've talked about things like repenting when you mess up. That's, that goes without saying. We continue in the pursuit of God. So when you mess up, inevitably, 
you repent, and you don't let Satan sidetrack you. You don't get distracted by that. He doesn't deserve that attention. So you say, God, that is not who you've called me to be as a daughter of God or as a son of God, but I am deeply sorry. I repent. I turn from my ways, and I want to go on this new path. We don't give Satan any attention. And then finally, we don't, we don't become comfortable with sin. I think Daryl talked about that last week. Just We don't start to excuse it because we haven't seen breakthrough. We don't suddenly say, well, I guess that's who I am now. That is not consistent with the gospel message. But today, this morning, I, afternoon, I want to talk about the pursuit of wisdom. So wisdom and the pursuit of it is part of this outworking of our salvation. So we are saved, but we are called to sojourn with the Lord and to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. And one of those is in the pursuit of of wisdom. And like Daryl said, he and I um, had some conversations just about, okay, how can we encourage this congregation? Where are we at now as the people of God? And my heart has been stirred. I, I know my call as a shepherd of the, of the people of the church. I, my desire is to see everyone I interact with thrive in their walk with God. That is what I know God has called me to, as I am being transformed to share that with others and to help others on that journey. And one thing I have seen that makes me sad, and I think a lot of you see, is there's been a lack of discipleship in many of your lives. When you read different books of the Bible, when you read the Torah, when you read, and we're gonna talk today a lot about the book of Proverbs, there's a lot of assumption that you've been raised in this teaching from a young age. There's such tender language in the book of Proverbs. It's a father speaking to his son, and he says, my son, treasure this instruction. And I know many of you here have not had that experience. So you are starting 20, 30, 40 years behind, perhaps, in this pursuit of godly wisdom. And it's, it's one of those things that our, our culture is starting to shape our view of wisdom more than the churches, perhaps. And a lot of it, some of you guys, maybe you had a great family background, but I know a lot of people, the generations previous, they raised their kids with the thought, oh, the, the church will disciple my kids. There, there was a lack of discipleship in the home. I know talking to a lot of you that that is your experience where your parents thought that they did the discipleship by bringing you to church. And hey, good job, parents. That is a very good thing to do. But there's more that in, in Jewish traditions. And Joe, are you watching on the live stream? I don't know. He's in Connecticut. But um, our friend Joe Viterko, Messianic Jew, he would probably know about all these types of expectations in Jewish families of what it means to raise your, your child in the faith, but so many of us did not have that. And I believe today that the Holy Spirit can set us on this new trajectory and journey of living a life of pursuing wisdom. So, all right, so let's talk about the cultural context of our day. So let's just be clear here. We exalt the word of God as the primary authority of righteousness and unrighteousness. In case you were wondering what church you were at, you were at that church, that it is the primary authority. Um, I don't know if people know plumb lines. It's a, it's a weight connected to a line. We trust gravity to determine straight. If not, we can just call it a measurement of righteousness. That is how we determine, not what our experience is as to what's righteous or unrighteous, but as to what the word of God says. But that being said, 
There is a place where we need to really study the word to make sure that we are not understanding righteousness and unrighteousness more by what our culture says than what the word says. And hear me, you can have that intention of, no, I I believe in the word of God. That's not enough. That's a good starting point. But there needs to be real study and and asking of the Lord and inquiring of the Lord. What, like even now, I I just even am gonna believe that the Lord will start to bring to mind certain things that you thought was godly righteousness, but actually that came from culture, not from the word of God. And I'm gonna give you an example if you're thinking, no, culture doesn't influence my study of the word. Hey, listen, John Wesley, alive in the 1700s, he was a minister of the gospel. And back in that century, it was very common for people to not know if they were saved. And nowadays, we know, like it's for the most part, it's one of those things that we know intellectually, whether or not we know in our heart. We know we are saved by faith, period, end of story. Back then, he was literally trying to live as holy as possible to prove to himself and to the Lord that he would be saved. That was not, the same Bible, same Bible, and he had not yet come to an understanding that he was saved by faith. That was his cultural context and the context of doctrine of the 1700s. It wasn't until he met a Moravian, good old prayer movement people, a, a German man who had been filled in the spirit, and he questioned that thought. So it took a person gently and lovingly questioning it, and then it took his own study of the word. All of a sudden, he was reading the book of Acts, and he realized, oh yeah, like those people knew they were saved. They encountered the spirit of God. They, he was, it was in the Bible the whole time, but, but it took a brother in the faith to challenge his interpretation of scripture to come to, to this understanding. So the example for today, that's just an example from the past. An example from today is what are acceptable works? What are, what are acceptable? A lot of us come from a thought of, I don't want to be legalistic, so I want to be careful with works. Our cultural context for a lot of us is church hurt. It's kind of a weird phrase, but just that idea of people trying to earn their salvation or prove their salvation of of doing things. I think we can all agree, whether or not it's done in practice, that caring for the poor is an acceptable work. I don't know if we're doing it enough, and I would say we are not doing enough as the body of Christ, but we can theoretically agree that is an acceptable work. But I'm gonna give you some examples of where there are things that I think God wants of you that you are not doing because your culture tells you that that is an unacceptable work. And we are allowing our culture to influence our obedience to the Lord more than we're letting the church culture and what God is saying to to speak it to us. So just to distinguish to these types of works, legalistic religious works, are all about the outward form to convince others and God of our righteousness. It's the the Matthew 6 Sermon on the Mount. Do not give in front of others. Do not pray in front of others. It's not because you're not supposed to pray in front of others. You're just not trying to do that so that you can prove how holy you are, okay? So that is the bad kind of religious works. But works of wisdom are an outward form that helps set us up for success in our spiritual walk. Our culture has lost a reverence, a value, a prioritization for the outward working of wisdom. And this thinking has made its way into the church. So here, in case you're still like, I don't know if I agree with you or not, here are a couple quick examples to hopefully help lock you in and be tracking with me. 
Let me know if this sounds familiar. You tithe? That's such a waste of money. Why aren't you drinking? Or if you do drink, why aren't you having a second? Why aren't you having a third? You're no fun. Oh, you're leaving now to go home? It's only 9.30. You're so boring. That was my college experience. I don't know about some of you guys. I was walking with the Lord at that point, but there was always that all about the instant, all about the let's be fun. It wasn't about what kind of person am I going to be when I'm 30, 40, 50. So my main point is let's reclaim our call to walk in wisdom. And let me tell you too, what goes against our culture is something that you have to pursue with great intentionality and perseverance or it's not going to happen. So that's why you need to know what is the cultural acceptable thing because then you're going to know you're not going to do it by default. I guarantee you. It won't come easily, but by the grace of God, it is something that we can do and we can claim it as a corporate body of Christ. So the first scripture, Ephesians 5.15. I love, I love the NLT version. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools but like those who are wise. So you know what's funny? Um, I don't know, maybe a couple months ago, this is a really recent thing, and I bet some of you guys might relate to me. I was, Will was, my husband Will, was saying something about, oh, blah, 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 that's some, that, like, that's a fool. Like, that's what a fool would do. I'm like, Will, that's not a nice word. Like, don't call someone a fool. God calls people fools. God calls people fools. So you know what that means? In this room, we got fools and we got wise people. And I'm, and I'm dead serious. Now, all of us do foolish things on one occasion or another. So hear me, like, I'm not saying like, we got those who have it figured out and those who don't. But here's, here's the dividing line that I want you and the Lord to be talking about in your heart. Are you living like a fool or are you living like those who are wise and you have an opportunity to leave here like Daryl said not just the oh on to lunch on to whatever but on to you know I've been playing the fool I'm done with that life and you have an opportunity to say I will live to pursue wisdom and some of you it might mean changing a friend group. Some of you, don't, don't be telling me you're evangelizing to them when you're looking like them, when they're doing the foolish things. Don't tell me that. Who are you surrounding yourself by that is encouraging you in the ways of wisdom? And, and it's, it's an opportunity, it's an invitation. I hope you accept, but if you don't, that's okay. I hope you smile at me occasionally and we'll have a nice rest of our message. So let's talk about the what. Okay, so for those of you who don't know, the Bible has three main books of wisdom. There is the book of Proverbs that we're primarily gonna talk about today. The book of Proverbs is what you would consider, I forgot to write this one down too, I think retribution theology, meaning those who do good things will have good happen to them, and those who are evil will have evil happen to them. Now, we're going to be talking about rules of thumb, ways that the Lord would like for you to structure your life around. But, but you cannot fully understand the way of the world and wisdom without reading the book of Job. 
without realizing that even the righteous can have evil happen to them. So I just think it's very important. We're talking about the general rules of thumb in the book of Proverbs that we should be putting into practice. We should be studying and be putting into practice. But please know, this is, it does not include a theology of suffering. And the book of Job gives us some answers to why there's suffering. So just to be clear, that if you want to have a full view of wisdom, you have to read those three books. And then, you know, Ecclesiastes, everything's meaningless except for the pursuit of the Lord. So there's that. Um, It's way more rich than that. So please read it on your own. So some of the themes in the book of Proverbs, how to use our words to benefit and not to harm. Dear Lord Almighty, we need that. Our culture's really not good at doing that. So got some words of wisdom from the Lord there. Praise be to God. How to remain sexually pure. Come on, someone. Who needs some help with that? That is our culture and our society. If it's hard for you, I want to tell you, that's because you are in our society. So don't feel ashamed. Start praying some scriptures over you and put some practical things into practice. And we'll see what the Holy Spirit does from that. How to work hard and enjoy what comes from it and how to relate to God and others. So those are some uh, of the different Proverbs that are dispersed throughout that. Um, I also wanted to point out about wisdom. There's such a mystery to it. I was starting to do a little bit more study in preparation for this. I had my main message, and then I was like, oh, let me dig in. And it was good, but then my head was starting to spin. I'm like, this is gonna take more like, way more study than I have time for for the sake of this message and actually might even confuse what I'm trying to communicate. But there is such a mystery to wisdom. There's a place where it is just so inherently a part of God that when we pursue it, there's this place of just abiding with the Lord in a way that's just more, it's a good way to live. Here's an example, Proverbs 3, 19. By wisdom, the Lord founded the earth. What does that even mean? What does that mean? He didn't do it with just his word. It was by wisdom that he founded the earth. It was by understanding that he created the heavens. There is way more to glean from this than a life that the world wants to emulate. There's way more to glean from that. There's something in a partnership with the Lord Almighty when we engage in wisdom. And because this is a bit of a heady heady quote, um, I I have a slide prepared for you guys. This is from the R.C. Sproul Reformation Study Bible in their essays before the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs must be read not as a series of legalistic principles, we already talked about that, we're not talking about that, but as two things, a revelation of the grace of God in Christ and our response to that grace. Proverbs has two main distinctions, chapters one through nine. The call of Proverbs one to nine to embrace wisdom is thus ultimately a call to embrace Jesus Christ. And this is where my brain starts to explode, okay? So uh, Colossians 2.3 says, In Christ lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is the incarnation of God's wisdom. Like that, anyone else's heads? Like, I'm just like, whoa, I am not, I don't think my human form can fully comprehend that, but I look forward to meditating on it a little more during the course of my life. And then the second half, chapters 10 to 31, that's where probably more of you know the book of Proverbs. It's like the two lines, the two contrasting statements. The specific instructions on how to live out our life with wisdom in Proverbs 10 to 31 are our instructions on how to live out our life of faith in Jesus Christ. 
So it's not just smart to walk in wisdom, though it is. It's an opportunity to grow in our love for God and intimacy with God as we seek it out. It's through our obedience to God that we show our love for him, and it's a way to worship him. And I would be quite remiss if I didn't mention the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools, there it is again, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And here again, please leave here not wanting to be a fool. You have an opportunity. And God, and by the way, God is so tender and wants to help you. It, it, you don't have to figure this out in an instant, but he wants your heart to be set on that. And I'm actually gonna talk about that right now, the how, how to develop in wisdom. So Proverbs 2 gives us a little insight into this, chapters one through five. My son, so again, that tender, tender language, a father speaking to his son. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And we already learned that that is the beginning of knowledge. The words to highlight, listen, treasure, Tune your ears, concentrate, cry out, ask, search, seek. These are not passive words. You will not grow in wisdom by passive osmosis. Find your hunger. Find your hunger. Ask for the Lord. If your heart is feeling hardened right now, pray for your heart. Right now, close your eyes. No one knows what you're doing. Cry out for the Lord. Cry out for the Lord to move in you. It is not passive. This um, study Bible gives us some really helpful words to kind of separate what these steps are. So I have another slide on that one. So the conditions for developing wisdom. There's four conditions. And, and as we're talking about these, let the Lord search your heart. Maybe where is a weakness for you? Like the next step of like, oh, like, you know, you, you, know, you might be like, yeah, I know I need it. But where, where's your trip up? And hey, I got my trip up. I'll share it soon. So there's no condemnation. We're just together saying, God, I want to look more like you and I want to please you. It's what we're doing corporately. It's not, it's not a wow, you know, it's, it's, it's something we're doing together. So one, acceptance. So from verse one, the word receive. Do you want to accept it? You know, if someone hands you a present, Youth group, right? You guys have heard of this. If you want a present, you gotta put out your hand. You can't receive a present if you're doing this unless, you know, it'd be kind of hard to do. So, you know, that's why we're so big into posture and worship. Y'all know that, right? Like when you're worshiping like this, and I don't mean when it's cold, I get that, especially when the AC's on you. But if you're worshiping like this, y'all probably aren't in a receptive posture, you know? So there's a place of receiving, knowing like, okay, God, yeah, I want that, you know? So that's one, acceptance. Two, submission. Hey, oh, tough word, submission. To stretch out the heart is to submit, verse two. And we'll talk about that a little more in a second. Humility, to cry out, to raise your voice. There's this place where you say, I am not the source and the solution. I need help. Humility. I would say pride probably falls in like with submission and humility, those being two tripping points. So 
pride is kind of a source of issues with both of those. And then desire, like you're seeking it out. Jesus talks about seeking out the, the kingdom of heaven like a, precious, um, like a precious treasure, like a precious pearl. It's the same thing with wisdom. Jesus is using the same language to talk about the kingdom of heaven as how we should pursue wisdom. Desperately, I guess we can't relate to silver. Let's just say like a beautiful diamond ring or like whatever you want. Um, somehow, I don't know. And I, never mind, you get it. So let me give an example. Nothing like a little bit of vulnerability to get the wheels turning in your mind of where maybe you're, you're struggling here. So I, for those of you who don't know, I worked seven years as an outpatient physical therapist. Um, in order to do that, you have to do three pretty grueling years of graduate school and clinicals. So my first ever clinical was at Mass General Hospital. And... Um, I was super nervous. I think I actually almost fainted on the first day of my clinical, now that I'm remembering it. But it was on the neuro floor at Mass General, super, super intense. And I had my clinical instructor and another student. We had a two-to-one scenario. And I remember, you know, we would be given very small tasks. But I was completely new to this. So maybe, you know, taking an interview, you know, like, how are you doing? You know, what is your house like at home so we can send you home eventually? Do you have stairs? Do you not have stairs? Um, and blood pressures and things like that. And then after we would do some things, we would huddle up after. And I, was, I don't know why I was so nervous. It was a very, very, very stressful part of my life. And I bet a lot of you guys can relate to that too. And she would give me my feedback. And it was a super stressful thing. And then, I don't know, maybe we had a midterm evaluation. And listen, I was a high achiever in school. I got really good grades. I did really well. But bless this woman giving me one of my feedback points, which was defensive to feedback. And I was like, what? No, I want to be a really good PT. What are you talking about? And I remember my heart sank. And I was like, first of all, that word defensive, like, Mean people are defensive. I was like nice about it. But it, it hit, and here I am, like, uh, like 10 years later talking about it. So clearly it made an impact. And, you know, it, it, it's true. It's true. When she would say, hey, like, listen, you know, maybe you're maybe talking a little fast. Try to, try to slow it down a bit. You have to remember this person has a brain tumor, like maybe chill it out a bit, like whatever it was. And instead of like listening, and, and even for me, like even if it was painful, there's a place of just stopping for a second, just being like, let, let, this, just, let this just simmer. I was like, oh, no, 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 so, so see what I meant to do and what, what my intention was. And she's probably like, listen, we have limited time. Like, that's what you need to work on. I don't really care what the reasons are. And she was very kind. Let me say you too, very kind woman. PTs are special people, in my opinion, but very kind woman. But it was, it was true and was accurate. She didn't need my explanations. I was very insecure in my identity and needing to prove, no, I will be a good PT one day. Yeah, who cares? It was my first clinical out of like eight. Like I was going to be bad at things. Like that's the understanding, right? So for me, I probably was weak there, probably, probably in the humility, maybe the submission. Again, it's kind of like a pride thing in general. You know, I think I theoretically wanted to learn from her, but my actions were not fully adding up to that point. The way I was like, and, and again, by me providing such a quick answer, you, you can't fully 
listen when you're talking immediately after someone gives you input. I don't care how nicely it's packaged. If you are immediately wiring together a retort in your brain, I guarantee you, you did not fully think and, and let sink in what the person said to you. I guarantee it. Anyone who's on social media knows that we as a society stink at this. So whether or not you're similar to me, I guarantee you there's at least, you know, 100 of you who struggle with that as well. So that leads me to the reality check in the church. Two common scenarios where we, and again, hey, I'm with you, homies. No, no, no shame. No shame. Two common scenarios where we lack wisdom in the church. We wait until things are in crisis. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are things? They're good. They're good. They're good. Oh my gosh, my marriage is falling apart right now. Oh my gosh, my roommates, I can't stand them. And this, that, and the other thing, and I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to go bankrupt. Where were you in the, hey, how are you? And if you've been around, and again, I get it. Coffee, how are you? It's kind of a quick thing. I'm talking about people in our small groups, people on our core team. I'm talking about you guys who call this your church and come every Sunday when we only get the opportunity to talk to you at the coffee because you don't come to anything else. So when we say, how are you? That is your opportunity to say, you know what? Ah, uh, things are a little dicey with the roommates. I wonder if I can run some things by you and you can maybe tell me maybe some things that I could do better. Because I guarantee you, it's not all your roommates' fault. So, not waiting until things are in crisis. And the second one is we don't listen or submit at all. Not a little bit, not at all. Y'all have all the answers. You know, you can learn something from me. You realize, and this is, we do not have time for this, but there is so much scripture about the blessing of your spiritual authority to speak into your life, even if they are not fully, in, if, even if they are not fully doing it perfectly. There is a blessing God chooses to use the spiritual authority in your life. And hear me, please don't go to a church that's super unhealthy. I'm talking about like a healthy church that like has some issues. Like find a church that doesn't have some issues. I, you can't find one. If you have, then you haven't been there long enough or you haven't gotten involved for long enough. There, you, the person doesn't have to be perfect for you to be able to glean something and to talk to the Lord and say what was helpful, what wasn't. But I am truly in my heart going to say, I am not going to try to be like, well, God, this is where they were right and this is where they were wrong. Listen for a moment and see what the Lord says. And I'm telling you, it's hard. Going back to where, how we were raised, if your identity is fragile, and my identity is still fragile in a lot of ways. This is hard for me. I really want you to like me and I really want you to tell me I'm doing a good job. I need to work on that. I need to work on that, and especially if I want to grow in wisdom. And I'm sure many of you relate to that. So here are a few things about the, the importance of wise counsel. Proverbs 28, 26. Those who trust their own insight are ooh, foolish. There it is again, foolish. But anyone who walks in wisdom is safe. It's an interesting word contrast. It's not foolish or not foolish. But there's a safety also in walking in wisdom. There's a safety. And no one wants to be called a foolish. 
So do not trust your own insight unless you want to be a fool. And then Proverbs 15, 22. Many of us know this one, but let this sink a little deeper. Don't just like check your box, but like really, plans go wrong for lack of advice. Many advisors bring success. Do you guys have friends that only tell you what you want to hear? Those friends are like, yeah, good job, buddy. Keep doing it, because I hate conflict. <laughs> or, you know, hey, Pastor Daryl, I made this plan. What do you think? I'm going to do it. You didn't, you're not really asking him if you already, like, put the plans in motion. Hey, I'm moving to Illinois. What do you think? But I bought my plane ticket, and I have my apartment. That, that, that doesn't count. Stop lying to yourselves, guys. There's so many er areas where we read these scriptures and we think we're doing it. But when you look at the heart of the scripture, you really didn't. It's scary, guys. I'm there with you. And let me say, too, choose your counsel with discernment. Know a tree by its fruit. Matthew 7, 15 to 20. This is Jesus Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's quolling, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Hey, listen, just because someone says that they're a minister of the Lord doesn't mean you should listen to them. Just because someone says, hey, I'm pastor so-and-so doesn't mean you should trust them. Maybe look at people who they've discipled for two, three, four, five years, people that they've given some counsel to and see where their lives went. Don't just say, oh, they're nice and, and kind. I should trust them. No, look, you know how long it makes to, takes to create fruit? I do not know, but I know it's not immediate. I'm not a farmer. It's not instantaneous. You don't just look at the tree and say, yep, fig, fig. You, you see a tree with leaves and you say, I think this is a fig tree. I'm gonna give it time. Mm, that could be a fig or that could be a thistle. Not sure, yeah, I'm gonna give it a little more time. Uh, ooh, it's thistle. Good thing I gave that some time. Ooh, okay, find that fig tree. Seriously. Especially when you're entrusting the most precious life-altering decisions. And this is, comes back to this fatherlessness, guys. We are desperate for someone to pick us out and say, I want to invest in you. I get it. That's why we spend so much time in figuring out how to do small groups well. That's why we rope you off from the seats so that y'all will mingle during coffee. Because we want to spend time with you and get to know you and stop running from us and sitting in chairs so we can't talk to you. I'm being funny, but I'm also being serious. Get to know people, trust people, look at the fruit. Seek out counsel, but don't let your injuries bring you into worse scenarios because you couldn't wait for the Lord to provide what you needed. All right, wrapping up here. So how can we avoid some of these pitfalls? I mentioned this before, submission. Listen, y'all need to stop being the sole authority on your life. Submit, find someone. I've hit this a few times, so I think I can move on from that. But let me say this. <laughs> the person doesn't need to have more schooling than you. 
the person doesn't have to be older than you, okay? That's humility. That's humility. You're already on a good track. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. As the church, we're really good at quoting this. This is presumably Paul writing to Timothy, a young man who is overseeing the churches under Paul's care. We're really good at citing it for being like, I'm young, so, you know, y'all need to, you know, not look down on me for my youth. But we need to reverse that. Don't look down on the youth. Don't look down because your community group leader is younger than you, that you put all these caveats on what they said to you because you're 10 years older than them. Like, what? You realize like the disciples with Jesus had a very fast course. And the whole reason why scripture is canonized is because it had direct access to Jesus, right? The apostles or those who were close with the apostles. If they wrote something, it got put in the Bible. So listen, if a 20-year-old is spending a lot of time with God, you want to listen to them versus the 50-year-old who barely spends time with God. And appearances might be hard to know unless you look at the fruit, give it time. But we need to stop such ageism in this church. We are not into that life. Respect people for, for what they bring and the authority position that they hold. Learning how to listen. We talked about this. So the first one was submission. Second one is learning how to listen. And it's so scary because we all do this. I do this. But listening is more than silence. Meaning, and I've done this too, where you're like talking to someone and you're like, "Uh uh-huh. And then you're like, okay, this scripture and then this scenario. If I'm formulating my response, I haven't been really listening There's an agenda to finish it. Oh, you stepped in it there. I'm going to get you there. Like, you're not trying to find your areas of retort. You're you're waiting for your opportunity to be like, you know what, I'm going to let this sit. That kind of hurt. And, and, you know, maybe it's not 100% accurate. And that's fine. Inquire of the Lord. Do it like we do with prophecy. Take it to the Lord. Test it. See it. Ask other friends about it. Do you see this in me too? Or was this a one-off? Let's learn how to listen. And I'm saying that to myself too. It's a good thing. And being proactive. We talked about not waiting till things are in crisis. Proverbs 22.3. A prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. And then Proverbs 28.14. Blessed are those who fear to do wrong, but the stubborn are headed for serious trouble. Yee! Yee! I mean, these are good scriptures, guys. If you're reading scripture and you're constantly like, I'm doing a good job. Like, that's you're doing something really wrong. I was talking about this with my trainer. You guys know I had knee surgery three months ago and he was telling me one of his um, clients had told him, if the exercise is easy, I'm probably doing it wrong. And I was like, that's so true. Because I, I can tell you my quad and my hamstrings are super, super weak. But there's certain exercises I'm doing wrong because I'm like, this is way too easy. I must be doing something wrong. And if you're reading scripture and not feeling cut to the heart and need to change, you are reading scripture wrong. You are reading it with not the right heart. You are using it to prove how righteous you are, and that is legalistic. That's full circle. You're like, look at what a good job I'm doing versus saying, hey, God, I know I'm doing a number of things wrong. Can you start to clue me in? And he he wants to. Last point, 
Will wanted me to say this. <laughs> um, what, what we're saying here is your ability to walk with God in the long run will probably come down to your ability to receive wisdom from others now. And that, that goes a little further. Not like, don't be so compartmentalized. Meaning, if you're like, I don't know, I'll talk to Andrew about maybe my finances, but I'm not gonna tell him about what's happening in my dating life. That's a little too compartmentalized. If you don't trust Andrew to talk to, then don't talk to him about anything, right? Like, find that person. Listen, you don't have to get up here on a Sunday and be like, like, find people that will hold your stuff in confidence and, you know, precious and, you know, be kind to you and speaking straight to you. But don't, don't pick and choose what you're going to share with them. I mean, we can also tell, we can tell when people aren't being fully forthright, not always, but there's a place where you're like, I, I can't in love, like, force this out of you but I can tell this isn't the whole thing. And it just, as us leaders at this church, it makes us sad. Not because we want the dirt on you, but because we want to help you, because we care. So we just encourage, you know, financial management, big life decisions, dating, marriage, any part of your life, find someone that you can share it with. So I'm just trusting that the Lord is highlighting a few things. I know for me, he highlighted things. But guys, let's reclaim. Listen. Listen, I know we're a small group of people. God uses remnant people to change culture and situations. If we as a church become ones that start asking the questions, oh, is that wise? Oh, is that, is that really what you think you should be doing? If we in our own lives start reclaiming this pursuit of wisdom, it'll start to go off into our small groups. It will start to go off in our friend groups. The Lord certainly will work a, do a work in your life, but there's, there's more that can be done from there. It is the undeserving grace of God that empowers us to walk in freedom. Let's use that freedom to walk in wisdom and to be free from the snare of sin. And that's it. Wow. Great word. Well, we're going to just wrap things up there. Uh, but we want...